The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Joseph Campbell. Bending Not Breaking, Season 3, Episode 8, The Puppet Master. We're back again for another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm, I'm Sunshine again, Mayfield. And I'm Ben Pruitt. And we've got Max Gongaware twisting those dials away, but no mic for him tonight because we are... He literally has a mic. He has a mic, but he doesn't talk a lot during guest episodes, and we've got a special guest again. But I do have a mic, and I am capable of speaking, and I don't like the way that you introduced me just now. I'm sorry. And our wonderful producer, Max Gongaware, is here. Thank you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, here we go. <laughs> and we have... Um, for this episode, because this episode's kind of like a scary episode, Fear. a little bit of like a, a horror-themed episode. I don't like scary things. And we brought our local horror movie aficionado connoisseur, if you connoisseur, will. the the mind behind the Archive Network and host of the Archive Podcast. Noah Blanchard, all the way in South Carolina. How you doing, Noah? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, I like that. Ah, Horror that aficionado that uh, connoisseur. That, those work as yeah. titles, I suppose. Um, You've seen a lot of horror movies in your life. That I have. One of my favorite genres. And yeah, this is a, a, a spooky little episode. And my first episode. So, oh, yeah. Wow. Another person being brought into the fold of Avatar The Last Airbender. Indeed. So just from the like your initial response from this episode like tell us are you so are you now super eager to go watch it from the beginning uh i am i am very eager to uh i've talked off mic with uh with sunshine about this but i am actually in the midst of a gundam rewatch mobile suit gundam oh nice the original 1979 series so that is the only thing that is really keeping me from starting avatar because i want to finish that up i got about 10 episodes and then i'm going to dive in I have, of course, picked up a bit because I, I listened to the podcast. I helped edit on the first season uh, before Max graciously took over producing, and things sound so much better now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you did I, great work. I've got peripheral knowledge. I do have one thing I want to ask you guys at the top because this might be something we need to talk about for like ten minutes. I don't know. Cool, cool, so cool, cool. Ang has hair. Yeah. Yes. When, yes, he has grown when hair did that out happen? for this. Uh, it, it took place. He was in like a coma for a while. Okay. Uh, and it happened at that point, And then they decided since they're in the Fire Nation, he needs to keep his hair to help cover his tattoos. Gotcha. Uh, so as it a means giveaway. a disguise. Because honestly, for seven minutes, I was like, dude, where's the air? Where's the last airbender? Where's where's the kid? <laughs> where's the where's the blue thing on his head? Uh, yeah. I need to update the artwork apparently orange. for season three. Well, and then this is also um, he's a he's not really the focus of this episode. Not not at all. Yeah. I really did not. I was I was trying to you know I knew Sokka as a name. I knew Katara and of course Ang, and I was trying to place everybody. Uh, but I was a little lost for the first like maybe three four minutes. But by the time I got to the end, I, I was fully hooked in, and I, I thought this was an incredible episode, completely removed from any context of the series at large. But uh, yeah, I really yeah, there's, a, there's a lot episode. in this episode. Yes. And we're going to talk about it, but unfortunately, it is Ben's turn to recap some time. I'm kidding. It's, finally, so it's finally my turn. It is your turn. I do want to see if there's a season where I can like actually convince you that every episode is your turn to do the 30-second recap. No. It, um, just, that will quick, never work because I don't like doing it. Yes. Do you guys not do Max's uninformed recap when you have a guest? No, ah, we, so we've actually we've kind of two. taken it back off, two. off of season three. We have not been doing it. But okay. I take this as a data point that you like Max's um, Uninformed it's Recap. It's one of my favorite aspects of the show. And so we might just have to do it. I, I, I don't Maybe mean to we'll put you on back. the spot, but I, I was just curious. I'll only do it if y'all start paying me more. <laughs> so Ooh, we'll work on Patreon that. Patreon That's supporters. Right. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, take that note. If you want more Max's Max time, Patreon is the way to go. All right. Well, I've got 30 seconds on the clock. Ben, are you timing this? Who's got this? Uh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I'll count me off, and I'll do the best that I can of, of recapping the Puppet Master 
in 30 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Sokka starts to tell a scary story around a campfire, and the gang really is into music, and then Katara shares a story, and it's super scary. And then Toph says she hears people under the mountain screaming, and then this old woman shows up and takes them in the near- nearby and gives them tea and warm beds. And then they go shopping, and they spend time together, and it's lovely. And then they find out when they're searching the house that she's actually a waterbender. And then she teaches Katara about the dark arts of bloodbending by using the environment Five around seconds. her people in her body. And then they have a fight scene, and things go haywire, and they realize that she's kidnapping time. people putting her under the mountain you almost made it it was so close you almost made it i was there it was pretty much there the rest of it was fight scene that's all I wrote yeah that's really it's fair yeah. like two, three minutes it's just like fight i mean scene. it does end on katara being like in tears so that's kind of a big deal yeah because she was forced to bloodbend katara in tears for our days <laughs> and our lives katara in tears is this Charles in charge? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I'm I have no idea what's going on. Is this on right a now. new segment? Uh, Charles in charge was a show. Never heard of it. Okay. All right, so this um uh, <laughs> Context of this episode is it was put out on Halloween, uh, the year that it was released, 2008, I believe, or uh, 2007, one of uh, around the back end of the run of this show. And so from our our horror expert Let's talk a little bit about what we're going through the lens of fear mm-hmm. in, the, in the in in fear and how it plays in our lives and how we can talk about it. What's the appeal of of horror movies and and was this kind of effective in that same vein that uh, your typical horror movie is effective? Um, I mean, I think people have different reactions to horror, and some people like there's a little more a little more tame. A little, you know, a little more jump out and scare you. Some people prefer stuff that's a little more cerebral. Uh, but I thought this was a fantastic setup and called to mind for me another Nickelodeon show that I'm sure you guys are familiar with, but total Are You Afraid of the Dark vibes in the in the opening here. Mm. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's, so a, that's, I, a, that's a throwback right there. Again, while I was, you know, a little lost with, okay, who's that? Where, where are they? I have no context for what happened in the previous episode, why they're in the woods, where they are contextually in the world. But I was immediately engaged because anytime you got people around a campfire telling scary stories, you know, you perk up a little bit. And I think part of it, of course, it's it's not like a rev- revelatory thing to say, but a lot of people like engaging with horror because it allows you to kind of live out experiences that hopefully you'll never have in your in your own life. And kind of deal with them with a slight remove to put yourself through a harrowing experience without the, you know, real world threat of it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's maybe where I kind of began my love of horror. But I would say now I gravitate more towards the cerebral side of things. Um, And to that point, there is a concept in this episode, which I'm sure we'll get to in more detail. But the concept of bloodbending really really messed me up i thought that was a pretty terrifying concept uh yeah let's before we get there though i want to circle back to what you were saying because i think it's important to flesh out fear a little bit so that we're all on the same page so like i i'm curious you you said that i'm gonna rephrase what you said um essentially people go to horror so that they can it's a it's thrill seeking if you will Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's experiencing with a layer of safety. It's experiencing something that they will never hopefully experience through a layer of safety. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, what was that your intention when you go in to watch horror movies? Is that your intention? Like that's like that's your goal? Because when I I I really am not a horror person. I really mm-hmm. don't like it. I don't like feeling that way. And I'm I'm genuinely curious because. Uh, I've done a lot of reading on like why do people watch and read and think about things that scare them because that's not a, a place that I like to be. And so is that literally your goal when you go into a horror movie? Like what's what's your thought process? Not not so much now, but there's definitely that three thrill seeker aspect. I mean, I think you find a lot of overlap with people who enjoy theme parks and roller coasters and also enjoy horror or, you know, haunted houses, etc. Um I think early on there was that, and then there's always, once you get into the horror genre, there's kind of the one-upsmanship of, okay, but have you seen this? You know, how far do you want to take this with the stuff you're willing to experience? And are do you have boundaries? Are there things that are, like, too far for you or, you know, creep you out that don't necessarily bother everybody else? Um, so there's a, 
that honestly, I feel like once you've seen the kind of core classics that everybody references, there's some people that move beyond that and start to look for more obscure out there stuff or more like hardcore dark stuff. Um, that is definitely not my bag, I would say. But nowadays, when I when I actually throw down my money to go see a movie in the theater, which uh, probably won't happen again for a very, very long time, um, I do have that sense of like, you know, that communal experience and like we're going through something together and there's a bit of the, the comfort of having other people around you. Uh, I, but at the same time, I also like to watch them in isolation by myself to, to up the fear factor. And I know that's not everybody's bag. Um, I told, I, I feel like we could find some, some Ben picks that would work. I think we could find your, your window in to the genre possibly i i don't know man i like i sunshine's tried to get me to watch every a show every now and then and i just no give me uh, but uh, what what you said sorry what you said really resonated with me in terms of um like getting something that's communal out of it because one of the things that i was reading about a horror and film and like why do people watch is like what happens is like in the body uh, what does heart do in the body? It create raises our heart rate, mm-hmm. our blood pressure goes up, our respiration increases, we start to breathe literally faster. And what happens is after the film or this this scene or whatever, what after it's over, what happens is we are surrounded by typically a group of friends. Mm-hmm. And so we start to associate those feelings with community and friendship. And so after having that like somewhat negative reaction, our, our, that physiological arousal creates a more intensified positive experience after the fear because of the community that you're in. And that's, that was an interesting read for me to, to see that. That was, I definitely think that's a play for sure. And the, the balance also, which almost all horror movies have a core element of comedy as well, which is a thing I loved about this episode that I never completely lost sight of the fact that like, these are still young kids. There can still be light comedic elements, even in what I would, I think is an arguably a pretty heavy episode, especially the note it goes out on. But, uh, I, I think that, you know, the fear, the tension, and then the release of that is always the, the kind of core component that you want from a horror movie. Something that, and that's why some people don't really respond to stuff that is very ambiguous or leaves you with no real resolution. A lot of times that's, you know, even scarier things like Halloween, the original that end on a, he's still out there kind of note which is kind of a common horror movie ending, but it, you know, uh, but I, I'm curious. Okay. We did an episode uh, on the movie arc a little, a while back and it was uh top 10 childhood scares. So not necessarily horror movies, uh, but things that like really creeped you out as a kid that maybe with some remove you got over, but have always kind of stuck with you. I, I would love to hear a, a Ben version of that to kind of gauge where you're at on the, the horror spectrum, if you will. Mine, for an example, was when Ursula gets stabbed with a ship. That's a good one. Terrifying. Yes. Or when Ursula sings Poor Unfortunate Souls. Or when Ursula first speaks to Ariel. Or, <laughs> so Ursula, so or when, Ursula, Ursula. when Ursula is the other woman and she looks into the mirror and you see Ursula's face. Um, all terrifying moments in my childhood. Uh, I'll, I'll share uh, one of my big ones. Uh, I know this has overlap yeah. with, uh, with Sunshine and Max. Uh, the movie Hook, Steven Spielberg's Hook, the kidnapping oh, of that. the children um, in the opening of that movie with the, the crazy lights and stuff. And the children were screaming. Exactly. The yes, so much of it is, is the reaction. The hook line going up the wall. Yes. Uh, that, was, that was definitely high on my list for that episode. But yeah, so what's one of those wow. for you? You know, I think I've blocked them all out. Uh, <laughs> Very possible. Yeah. I, I was so par, a part of the, you know, this might be a factor. So I was, I never really had a, uh, a filter on what I was not allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was watching pretty much whatever was on or my siblings were watching. All my siblings were older than me. So I was just watching like, you know, Jeepers Creepers when I was, whenever it came out and mm-hmm. That was a movie that I watched, and I like that was the end of my horror experience because I was done. I didn't want it. Well, and, uh, that's, so that's a good like one Silence to go of the Lambs on. was that's probably a good one to end on. Uh, the yeah. director is incredibly problematic. That, yeah, very true. well, like also like uh, 
I watched Silence of the Lambs and like Hannibal and like that was like and, and so and as I grew older, I just realized that this was not a feeling that I that I liked experiencing. Mm-hmm. So those aren't really kid flicks. Those are like <laughs> those are uh, bigger ones. Yeah, and maybe definitely. that's my problem. I, I I was introduced to horror at a very young age, mainly because I have a mom who is a, a horror obsessive. It's probably her favorite genre as well. I think I, she showed me The Exorcist for the first time when I was nine, I believe. Ooh, uh, dude, dude, no, don't do that. Early. See, you, and that, you know, that may have completely, that, that may explain everything. I don't know. But uh, yeah, pretty much from that point forward, that was, that was the gateway, honestly, into being allowed to watch pretty much any rated R movie was the horror genre because it's like she was kind of okay with any, you know, not your more uh, in-your-face 80s era uh when the gore gets really ratcheted up as well as the nudity uh but kind of classic 60s and 70s horror she was like yeah go nuts and uh all right one one more clarifying question before we really dive into the content of the episode uh uh, so i i'm i have a curious like i'm curious about the relationship between like help me understand the difference between uh like watching a horror film that can like and and also having like a phobia versus like these versus like an irrational fear. So like I'm, for instance, I have an irrational fear of spiders. Like intellectually, I'm not scared of spiders, mm-hmm. but as, as soon as one is on me or near me, I freak out. Like I literally flinch. My body goes into fear mode versus like a phobia, for instance, you know, arachnophobia. That, I guess that's the, okay. That's, that's spiders. That's the, that's exactly what I just said, huh? Um, but like, I guess phobias are considered irrational. Most phobias are considered irrational. So, okay. The difference between, like, fear versus phobia versus, like, how does that contextually relate? Tell me about your thoughts on that. Um, I I wouldn't say that I have any of those kind of core phobias or even, like, things that instantly do it for me. Some people are terrified of clowns or ghosts and will not engage with any media that features either of those things. I don't really have any personal boundaries as far as that goes. So that that kind of leads into the I'm trying to figure out maybe what that line is, and that's why I continue to go back to the horror genre over and over again. But at the same time, once you know the rules of said genre, uh, it's very easy to be kind of underwhelmed by a lot of things and see a lot of stuff coming. Um, but as far as phobias... Um, I think it's odd that you, I, I am kind of thinking about like Indiana Jones for some reason. And I feel like phobias are had to be snakes. Exactly. They're often moved into like the action or adventure genre. Um, whereas it's like a little tiny horror element that's going to hit some people in the audience or it's, you know, reflective of the character. But I, I don't know. I think genre-wise, horror movies have kind of moved away from that, yeah, even though in the 90s you had movies literally like Arachnophobia, um, where it was very centered on, like, we want to scare this core group of people that has this fear. Um, and I, I don't know. I think it's a little more broad now. But, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. Well, and so I think it's so for us to dive into this episode, just the understanding of the definition of fear and unpleasant emotion caused by a belief that someone or something is, is dangerous mm-hmm. and is likely to cause a pain or a threat um, is something that we definitely see these characters go through when we look at it through this almost horror film type lens. Um, what we're kind of diving into, it gets into a, a paper that was written by Dr. Glenn Walters. Um, back in 2004 that really talks about three main things being why horror movies are successful and i think it goes back to kind of what you were saying of that release of 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 tension so tension's the first thing that a good horror experience needs is that tension that that idea that you there's suspense and mystery and terror and shock and and those things are there the next part is that it's relevant i think because fear is an emotion that is everyone is very attuned to for the most part um that it's it's able to create these relevant messages it's able to create this idea of fear of death or bring cultural meaningness to it because people can identify with fear and i can identify when other characters are feeling that but then it's this unrealism which that's the safety net right like i know that this isn't real Mm -hmm. i get to leave the movie theater at a certain point i get to stop watching the show and that creates that release of the tension that you were kind of speaking forward um as we kind of go into these characters though we're going to talk a little bit more about 
they're not able to escape this fear in the same way. So we as the audience are watching it as a completely different way that they're experiencing it. But we still get to connect with that fear because we can connect the dots uh, through empathy, right? Absolutely. Um, so there are moments – let's just jump in let's and say in. what are some moments that fear was just like, boom, there it is. That That's – there. I'm seeing either fear in them or it created this experience of fear in you. Um, I kind of approached it. I had a couple different types of fear, uh, but the first one that I hit on was fear of the unknown, which is literally right there in the opening sequence where they meet the mysterious Hama and – immediately and we get this a little bit more in the midsection of the episode but soka is kind of immediately skeptical and on the fence about who she is if she's like kind of creepy or we don't know what's what's going on with her um whereas katara is immediately kind of accepting and wants to see the best in the person uh so you've got a division right there within the group of somebody who's accepting of the other or the unknown or at least willing to get to know it before it makes a judgment call and then you have Soka, who's a little more skeptical from the get-go. But Fear of the Unknown was one that hit me early in the episode. No, I'm going to I'm gonna give you a, a wonderful point. Uh, both Ben and I were quickly distracted because uh, you made what is considered a fandom uh, foul. Oh, what did um, I do? What did I do? Uh, <laughs> so you pronounced uh, Sokka's name in the same way that M. Night Shyamalan... Uh, Don't even... Uh, to, to be fair, to be fair, the only... I. Because I know I've heard you say Soka many a time, but in this episode, Katara, she says Sokka multiple times. It's Sokka. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard me say Soka, Noah, but uh, just uh, just I, people in the fandom twitched a little bit. Okay, uh, but that, I, that's that's <laughs> that's but yeah, huge Sokka. foul. Sokka. Can you drop in a uh, a, a big ant buzzer? Uh, in the sound mix, Max? Yeah, that'd no. Be, that'd be fantastic. Max, go put it in post. Yeah, yeah do that in post. <laughs> okay, so just to clarify one more time, say his name correctly. Sokka. Sokka, okay. Yeah, yeah. There I think go. I got scared I was going to say it the wrong way, and I flipped it. at the exact same time? <laughs> yeah, so that was perfect. Okay. <laughs> Great. Sokka. Um, but yeah. I, I probably should and, not mention that I, outside of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, I'm a huge M. Night Shyamalan fan. Uh, warts and all outside of that movie and uh let's also take after earth off the table and the happening but everything else (laughs) yeah uh maybe lady in the water's like teetering on the edge but everything else i I co-sign you just named like half of his filmography (laughs) i mean maybe it's like a six i like really like some of what he did okay so um but i let's so let's bring up that point because fear of the unknown is definitely something that we are we will experience at some point in our life, right? Absolutely. Sure um, have. And so how do we navigate that? And I'm going to, I'm going to send this to Ben. How do we navigate that? Because in this situation, you can look at it and say, I would typically say, no, you want to get to know someone before. Um, but Sokka wasn't wrong. Yeah. And he so... jumped, he might've jumped too early. And, and I would have, I would hope I would jump in like Katara did as he, like, to get to know someone. Yeah. But Sokka wasn't wrong. So I, I, I think that there's a there's always a balance. I think that if you remove the uh, music from this scene, it feels very different. And I think that's true for most horror films and horror imagery, right? Music is a major contributor to the emotion that, that is evoked from the scene. Had they been playing, you know, major chords and harm, harm, like, you know, nice harmony, we would have had a very different visceral bodily reaction as opposed to the very dissonant chords that we heard, right? And so literally, I think it's important to think about, like, what's the subtext under the words and, like, things that are being said? I think that's really important. Now, to answer your question, I think what's the story that Sokka's telling versus the story that Katara's telling? And I think that those are both informed by the situation that they are in, right? So Katara was the one who was telling the actual scary story, right? And so Katara was leading them into this scary place, but she was the, the controller of the situation versus when Sokka was telling a story, nobody was scared, right? And so because Katara was kind of, quote, in control in that moment, her reaction was you know, more kind, more open versus Sokka, Aang, Toph, who also were just like, oh my God, we just heard people screaming. And they were convinced that they had just heard it because again of the fear, I think fear clouds judgment, right? 
And so I, I think it's interesting because there's a lot and there's just so many layers to this moment. Uh, and this fear of the unknown is I think we have a responsibility to we talked about crucial accountability. Like, how do we start with heart? And I think that Sokka doesn't. And I think that he is continually given instinctual uh, evidence. Uh, his gut is leading him somewhere. But sometimes our gut is wrong. And sometimes our gut is right. And so it's a fine line between following our gut towards something that ultimately we are right. But maybe we went about it the wrong way. Mm. You know? So true. So true. Definitely. All right. No, what else What else you got on the table when it comes to just moments of, of fear? Uh, I had fear of the other, uh, mainly brought on by Hama's flashbacks to the Fire Nation and the the Waterbenders versus Fire Nation uh, of it all. Obviously, you know, two completely different, I guess we'll say cultures. I don't know what the proper terminology in this world is. but yeah, I think um, that's fair. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um, and, yeah, just the obvious, like, I... I that's one that I think is a little harder to combat because obviously it feels like it's an ongoing thing and it's just like, will we ever see an end to this conflict? Uh, but yeah, fear of the other, of, of the other side. But at the same time, I know the Fire Nation pretty bad dudes, right? So maybe I shouldn't feel sympathetic. I, I don't know. What's, and I think we, we don't get it all. We get it some in this episode where it's, you know, we're a part of this nation where the, this government is kind of... Corrupt. doing these these corrupt things but it doesn't necessarily mean that the people that are that were born or living in that nation agree with it or are part of it um which i think is where we see hama kind of go into her ex- extremism and start to blame in, in kind of this mass uh it's this generalization that everybody that lives in the fire nation is bad mm-hmm. um and that's where you start to see she kind of falls off it because i gotta say like up up until the point where she starts like bloodbending innocent people and and going to that extreme she's not necessarily wrong with any of these things and um as you're talking about like this those flashbacks can you imagine the trauma and fear of consistently on a regular basis seeing your people and your home wiped out absolutely and the trauma and fear that that would come with that the fear Um, of it possibly i'm sorry i didn't mean to no, no, go ahead. I, yes, the fear that it might happen again kind of motivates all of her actions after the fact. And, you know, refusing to even engage with the idea that, like, maybe some of these people could be decent or just like the non-benders that were in your tribe that you had to, you know, part with. Maybe there are good people on the other side. I, I feel like she's so, you know, she's seen so many horrors at this point that she she can't open her mind to any possible idea of, you know, there being decent people on the other side. I think that's such an important point because fear over time is a a recipe for trauma, right? And Mm -hmm. and it's, it might be little T trauma. It might be big T trauma. Everybody like uh, experiences trauma differently. But I think that that there's a lot of evidence that points towards being scared over longer period of times is not healthy. Like having a consistent amount of cortisol in our bodies, the stress, that's the stress hormone. Mm -hmm. It, is unhealthy it's not good for our physical strength and our physical ability and so it leads to an early death that is predictable and so it's one of those things where for for me she from a very early age watched all of the waterbenders get taken out one by one until she was captured she was the last one and she gets taken she's put into a cage literally put into a cage and so, like, this, like, talk about dehumanizing this person. And I I agree with Sunshine. I think that her behavior and her, uh, quote, rioting against the Fire Nation in this, in this moment is 100% not uh, – there is no way to condemn that. I cannot condemn her behavior. I can condemn the behavior after she has been – she's been out where she is harming innocent people Mm -hmm. but like up until that point i just i I have to like this is probably a big for some of our listeners but like i can't disagree with what she's doing i can't like it's like do i wish that she weren't in that position yes do i wish it hadn't happened to her yes does does she have another option i don't know that she does because i think that when people 
riot and uh, use physical force, that is the voice of what it, that's what it sounds like and what it looks like when people are unheard and unvalued. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really uh, like I, I'm I'm I just I wonder how much fear plays a role in when 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 somebody has power over us. I wonder how much fear plays a role in how we respond because like that's so like that residual like I don't know man that's just a, that's a big this is big this is a really big topic. When it's and it's tough because I. I'm going to jump it further and kind of go into bloodbending for a little bit. Okay. But we see a group of women benders getting taken over and over. That's what the time-lapse footage is, women benders being taken. And then we get an entire moment that is about body autonomy and not having control over your own body. And I think that was something that is a real fear. That is a real experience for so many people um, about having body autonomy and so that fear of what it is to lose that is absolutely terrifying. And I think that comes across. I think that's why things like bloodbending hit so much harder. Um, because that is, that is such a real emotion and real connection with this show that mirrors the world today. Um, and this happened in 2007. And it's still an argument that we're, we're coming up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Noah, you got you said bloodbending really hit home for you as something that was terrifying. Like, can you what from your perspective? Like, what's what is so scary about bloodbending from your perspective? It's it's the core concept of just physically not having control over your own body, of of feeling an external like manipulation and being kind of powerless to it. And it's something you see throughout comic books. It's in horror movies as well. Um, often done through like a telekinesis or some other sort of manipulation but the the concept of literally i am controlling the the water the oxygen in your blood to manipulate your your movements it it hits on that visceral level which i thought was just genius for the fact that it is a kid show and of course when we see this battle with the fire nation they're they're putting them in nets and they're taking them away we're not seeing like slaughter on a mass scale um where whereas maybe some other shows would go further but in in an effort to not show some kind of graphic detail speaking that uh the rat in the prison sequence i thought was great and cut away just at the right moment um Ugh, yeah but creepy it's so yeah, it, it, it was one of those things that just kind of lit my brain on fire with thinking about like what that would physically the physical sensation of that what that would be like for you in the real world and again it's a fantasy concept but it's not it's not hard to imagine um just not having control of your own body specifically if we want to take it into the horror movie realm uh i'm sure this came up for you as well sunshine i was uh reminded of luca guadagnino's version of suspiria from uh 2018 where there is a <laughs> a huge sequence i got chills in the bad way yes <laughs> a a huge sequence where someone is manipulated by force through dance uh that is absolutely terrifying and brutal much in the same way that this was uh yeah that one hit for me and then it also brought to mind uh cronenberg scanners from 1981 which is in the telekinesis realm but again it's controlling people's minds their physicality etc like yeah they did not hold back on like the sound effects too and like not at all the actual blood bending um and it is so tough because this is one of those moments that I feel so so it's so raw for Katara. She has to actively act outside of her value system mm-hmm. to save her friends, um, which is you hope you never have to make that type of decision ever. And she's having to do that as a teenager um, and does it to, to keep Sokka from impaling Aang, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that was definitely that the the most heartbreaking moment of the episode for me is the very end where Hama reminds her that like you have this ability now, and essentially it's kind of like that this is inside you. You have this ability now. It's up to you to decide whether or not you're ever going to implement this. Um, again, you had to in this one scenario, but that's what led me into uh, fear of the self, really, or fear of one's own abilities. That. Uh, 
you know, you may contain a power that somehow you lose, lose hold of and kind of overtakes you, um, or you fall to the dark side, if you will, because you now have this ability. And that was kind of a haunting note for things to go out on. Now, of course, I don't know yeah, where the series there's... goes from there. If this, I, I don't know if that's a recurring thing for Katara, that her morals are kind of put up against real world scenarios for her consistently, or if this was kind of a, a newish thing or a new arc for her. Man, you're bringing up a lot. I the, guess the, you'll just they, have to yeah, watch, Yeah, I guess you'll have to watch. I yeah. I will. Uh, <laughs> one of the things you reminded me of is Marianne Williamson's quote on our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, often misattributed to Coach Carter. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, that's a Marianne Williamson quote. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to think about how how scared we can be of our what is inside us right and what we have the ability to do um what what really strikes me in this moment and i it struck me enough to write it down katara uh like learns about bloodbending and she says i don't want that kind of power to control people and hama says the choice is not yours the power exists Mm -hmm. and that line really really struck home with me because like this feels so legitimate like we have to use we have to be very considerate of the gifts that we've been given and i'm saying bloodbending is a gift and i'm saying that like you might not like the gift but it's a gift right this is a a skill that you have and a lot of other people don't have it and so how you uh how you use it is really important and so uh it really i, I don't know that how much cross fandom there is between aragon the inheritance cycle but there there's a moment where aragon the main character of that uh, in that Lord of the Rings, you're the worst. So Aragon is <laughs> Aragon with an E, a dragon rider, uh, super cool. Also had a very terrible live action movie made. There are uh, dragons in Lord of the Rings, Ben. Again, you're the worst. Uh, but he he also has a very similar ability to bloodbending, where he can draw the life energy from from creatures and from people, and he is not taught this until he has demonstrated the uh, capacity that he is not evil and like it takes like two and a half books for him to demonstrate that and so um it's really fascinating for me that katara learns this at as a teenager and she is told that she has this power that is uh really really scary and has a lot of it's just very powerful and it's given to someone that may or may not have the capacity to use it responsibly. And so I'm, I'm curious about what, it, what, that, what that means and what the implications are for us. So, for instance, as a cisgender white male, what are the powers and skills and things and privileges, if you will, that I have, that I have been given, that I have been misusing and I have not been using responsibly that – I was told about or rather not really told about responsibly, right? And so there, there are things that we have, there are powers that we have that other people do not. And those, those privileges are important to be mindful of and to not misuse. It's, mm-hmm. it's like bloodbending and that's, that's really creepy. And I, if you frame it that way, it makes me feel a little icky. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. It's a, there's a whole lot in this episode and a whole lot of questions raised for me about like what would have happened if, if someone would have intervened in, in Hama's trauma early on, uh, what would have happened if someone, you know, if one, the, you know, the, the destruction of her tribe wouldn't have happened in the first place, but, um, how do, how do we step in and make sure that we're, we're working to solve those moments of, of fear and acting more of the release of, of that tension and being able to create a moment where the body understands that you're you're not in harm's way anymore, um, but it's there's not like a perfect right answer. To well, that. and I think the analogy here, spoiler alert, Noah, is that at the end of this series, we see Aang have to make a choice. He has the power to take Ozai's life. He chooses not to do so. Katara has the power to bloodbend, but she is put and backed into a corner where she has to make the decision between Aang is about to die on a sword. Unless, like, that that was the visual we got, right? It was mm-hmm. coming. That was, like, about to happen. And Katara was, said, no, I would rather bloodbend than lose the life of, one, my future partner, 
I don't think that was in her thought process, but also like lose this life that is in front of me. And so I, I think that sometimes we, we like we should condemn bloodbending. We see later in Korra that that uh, Katara has outlawed bloodbending. I think that is the right move. And having that power and being trained in it seems like it was really important for her in that moment. Like having the knowledge of it saved Aang. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I'm torn about that. That's like, like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the, Put that question in a headline. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no. The, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, so, no. Yeah, yeah. So to oh. put that into a headline, sorry if that was uh, convoluted, but no, not at when... all. I, I got you. Uh, I, I think I do at least uh, that moment in particular. I, I was literally kind of on the edge of my seat. I was amazed how invested I got in that last action sequence, not even bringing into account how Aang factors in their prior relationship, any of that, just the, the actual threat of death there and that being the thing that forces her into to using it really really got me got me invested um if you do want to rephrase that slightly more clear i will i will approach it i'm sorry i lost the thread yeah i I, i'm curious about being how being backed into a corner uh can justify the use of something that is not okay and so when Katara, like, she outlaws bloodbending later on, and that is no longer acceptable. I agree with that. And in this moment, using bloodbending is what saves Aang. And so I'm curious about the relationship between using things that are not okay in order to do good. And so where where is that line? How do we navigate it? Like, I think what are, like, it's, I, an inter- it's definitely an interesting moral dilemma, and of course, I'm tempted to go back to... <laughs> To Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. I think it's the here, here. you have to have the the knowledge. She she had to see the or hear rather in the flashbacks of the brutality of this, and she had to experience it firsthand to feel what it's like to not be in control of yourself, to be manipulated by that, to realize the the true gravity of what that power means. Um, and I feel like then she has the you know the moral capability of deciding this is an appropriate scenario where I can use these means uh, that I normally would never resort to and can kind of make a judgment on when that is doable or not. And now granted, I I don't know if Katara struggles with being quick to anger or anything at other points in the series where she may lean on this without even meaning to. Um, I could definitely, I feel like once that's that power is, within her it's it's like another battle on top of everything else to be gauging at all moments like am i gonna bloodbend is should, should i do it now is, is this the right scenario um so i definitely fascinating moral implications especially considering that she knows what it feels like now and the idea that you would then inflict that onto another person adds another layer of gravity to the whole thing and I wonder if part of it is too like the fear of consequence in those moments as well of of knowing what it's like, knowing what it could do, and not knowing what the result might be after that. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you will you enjoy using bloodbending? Will you start to think that it's okay? And after a time that you know you feel like you are so certain that it's not. So this fear of consequences, I think, is probably um, ultimately there, and and that's really what fear is, right? This this unknowing consequence could be around the corner. Mm-hmm. It could be something that results in death. And how do we navigate life having that? Um, I think one thing worth highlighting is the fear of a lot of the townspeople mm-hmm. starts to save them a little bit, starts to put them in a safer spot. Um, and that's where I want to say it's like fear is, is like anything else. It's a tool, right? Our, it's our body's mechanism and tool. These townspeople said, started to learn through because of their fear and, and understanding of what, all right, we shouldn't send delivery guys out on a full moon. We should definitely lock up our doors and windows and see if we can keep from anything happening. Like, so all of those things were, they were likely putting themselves in safer situations, which was necessary because of the fear that they had. And so I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. And Noah, that really reminds me of something you were saying earlier, like right in your kind of intro, like uh, the idea that when you, when you watch 
films, you're trying to identify, you said something along the lines of you're trying to identify where your boundaries are. Some people's mm-hmm. boundaries are like no fear at all. Some people have a boundary of like, I can watch some of this, but not all of this. And um, it fear teaches us about boundaries, right? And Absolutely. I, it's interesting because I wrote this down too, like fear in this moment in the, when they're walking through town, when they're buying food, like fear restricts people. It's they're, they're not able to make sales on certain days because the full moon is when bad things happen. Like it, re- it really reminds me of coronavirus. Debilitating. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It reminds me of current day. Like what's the difference between fear and caution? And I think fear is the boundary line that allows us to utilize caution. Does that make sense? I, absolutely. No, that totally tracks for me. And uh, I, we don't have to get into a giant uh, mask, anti-mask debate. Um, but I I am kind of of the opinion that a lot of the outwardly anti-mask people, it really does come from a place of fear, of even acknowledging the severity or the realness and seriousness of what's going on is just too much for them. So they would rather construct... Uh, a narrative for themselves that allows them to feel like they are in control of the situation and they're living outside of this fear rather than giving into it or just acknowledging that like it's a pretty legitimate fear to have and it's okay to be scared and it's okay to let that inform how you responsibly behave um but yeah i think i, I want to jump in because that is a point that i think is so massive this idea of and it will kind of go into what bravery is and this idea that to to be brave, um, whether it is Katara, like so we could, I think we can all agree, Katara was brave in that moment, and it wasn't because of conquering fear itself or this lack of fear. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's because she did what she needed to do while the fear is still existing inside of her in that moment. So just because you can be brave and that doesn't mean you're not scared or don't have fear. Absolutely. And so yeah. you can sit there and say, I'm, you know, I'm going to wear a mask. That doesn't mean I'm not brave. That doesn't mean that I'm, I need to show my masculinity or my power or anything else. It's mm-hmm. no, you're allowed to be scared and that's an okay thing. And that doesn't mean that you're less of a person because fear is fear is an experience that your body is going to have. Exactly. Period. I also want to be upfront and say bending, not breaking is pro mask. Uh, yes. Y'all we here at the arc of E network are extremely pro mask. <laughs> uh, I work in the food yeah. service industry in my normal day job. Uh, please wear mask uh, period. Everyone please do 100%. And one of the things that sunshine has talked about a lot on the podcast and I I'm really grateful for is that we can empathize with people and still hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we can understand and hear that fear that you're talking about, Noah, and we can we can acknowledge that and we can say it, and we can say, I still expect you to wear a mask. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> like, I get it. It is, it is a scary time, and we're going to put a mask on because yeah. we're going to take care of each other, and that's what we're going to do. Exactly. And there's so much data out there that says that's what we should do. Um, so hopefully by the time that this airs... <laughs> in in mid-august um because spoiler we pre-record all of these things um but uh you know it it really is this idea of you can be brave and still be scared and i I think that's an important like you katara is brave and on a on a side note of making sure we're holding people accountable though we can empathize that uh, will play directly into my gratitude this evening when we get to that moment just so jumping ahead just so much. we're clear yeah any other moments of big fear that we want to discuss Noah, i have a question for you Absolutely. Uh, there, there's a moment where Sokka's opening doors and as he's like searching the house or the inn and he opens a door and a bunch of fire nation puppets pop out mm-hmm. um like that was a intended to be a creepy moment and to me like i that's entirely dependent upon the story we're telling about those puppets and so like to me it feels like this like it feels like a residual fear of the fact that they're still like in this campfire mode they still had a like they had a scary night they got found in a creepy way but like why are these dolls creepy like what what is creepy about these dolls um i think this whole stretch actually plays on a lot of different horror tropes from the time of the campfire being brought in by a stranger and then once they're left alone in her domicile immediately 
okay, well, we got to see what creepy stuff is around here. I've got to prove my case that she's, you know, this creepy old witch or something. Uh, and because of how tropey it was, it reminded me of a sequence in Cabin in the Woods, which is all about horror tropes and is essentially like a massive meta parody um, where one person kind of blindly leads everybody else into, oh, yeah, well, of course I'm going to open this this box that's hidden by a key and clearly is not meant for me. But I, of course, I've got to investigate. Um, and just the kind of, you know, there's there's always the one idiot who has never seen a, a horror movie or never read a scary story before that doesn't know how to behave. Basically operates Saka in a world would have read as the Latin if, for sure. Exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those people who operate in a way that it's just like they've they're not aware that any of this stuff exists. Uh, the the Fire Nation figures themselves. Uh, I I thought that was just a nice tie-in with Puppet Master. I mean, the episode is called The Puppet Master. Um, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Puppet Master series of horror films, uh, which feature small nope. toys that are uh, that are possessed and, and kill people. That sounds terrifying. Uh, yeah, probably <laughs> not something you should check out. Uh, there's also several well, knockoffs of it. Very, uh, like, Puppet Master is not a good style. series. You can totally avoid it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah I, th- so, I thought it was so a nice saying, nod like, to that uh, creepy small things. Yes. Well, it's interesting because this idea of be, like when you're being blood bent, you're almost like a marionette, like what you said. And mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious though, like let me ask you this question. So there's a there's a practice that is called havruta that I'm gonna I'm gonna invoke here. So um, it's a Jewish traditionally Jewish practice, and what happens is. I ask a question or someone asks a question and the, the, the fear theory is that the answer is not my answer, but the answer lies in the, the everyone's answer and it's somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear everybody's answer to this. So why is Hama hiding these puppets in her house? And so, like, let's not think about it from a, like, again, it's not authorial intent. It's not the fact that this is a horror trope, because I, I, like, I think that's very possible. But let's treat it as if it were intentional, right? So, like, why does she have these puppets? And for me, the answer that I came up with is that these are trophies of each person that she's put in her cage and under the mountain. That's, that's my theory, is that each one of these puppets is, like, this is her, a, her trophy a, a for each one. Almost. And that's... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that to me does not feel very generous, which is why I'm asking this question. I, I really worry worry about it because I don't know that I have a, be- a better uh, a better assumption. Like, what are what are your all's thoughts on this? Noah, go ahead. I I, I got mine, and but I, I'm, I want to hear yours. Um, I I had not considered the. I I think I honestly overlooked that detail. I was so focused on the box that they eventually opened to expose a comb, uh, that I I kind of missed out on the figurine. So I haven't thought through it too much but i the totem aspect definitely makes sense to me i wanted to ask because i was a little lost on this towards the end the people that she is keeping under the mountain what what was the significant they're not like former fire nation people correct or everybody so is they are the currently nation. in the fire nation okay. right now but these and are so just civilians are, correct yeah they're civilians okay at least I think they're civilians. That's what we are led to believe. Seems like just a standard township. Yep. Um, I think for me, my guess is it is something that she uses at, to maintain her idea that she has been in the Fire Nation for a long time. and is So the, these are classic antiques. And my grandparents' houses were filled with classic antiques and things that they got when they were younger. And so to me, it's something that she has to maintain the ruse of, oh, this is an elderly old woman in the woods. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Was kind of the way that I saw those. They are creepy, and I don't understand, like, porcelain dolls. Yeah, but antiques dolls, can be creepy, too, right? Porcelain so, yeah. dolls are, are weird. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. I like that. I think that's an interesting interesting, interesting thought. And, I yeah, I think it, for sure. it walks the line the whole episode of, like, I mean, I, I don't want to say I called it, and part of this, again, is just, like, looking for these tropes and everything. I was like, she's definitely a witch from the opening. I was like, she's bad news. Do not go to her house. This is not going to end well. Um but I love the way they walked the line the whole time and getting Sokka's perspective on it and Katara's as well, where she gives her the benefit of the doubt over and over again. But what I loved is I, I didn't feel like Katara was all of a sudden, you know, dumbfounded by the revelation at the end 
um, she accepts yeah, it pretty she wasn't quick really and, duped, and reacts. Right? Yeah. And mm. I think that's what makes this ultimately uh, really a poignant episode. Is this this isn't just a filler episode where it's you know some random witch. No, this is someone for from her home. Mm-hmm. This is someone from the Southern Water Tribe. She's able to learn bending techniques that are really like they're dark, but they're also really important. And like being able to do that is it probably integral to her survival later on. It just seems like the the culture that's there like it's i think that's what makes it so real well, she honestly. sees herself in hama exactly like she sees and i think that's why the fear of, of the fear of bloodbending hits so hard is if i start bloodbending do i become this mm-hmm. yeah is this who i become is this what my life ends up being and the reality is we write we write our own story we write our own path um and so but when we identify with that or seeing that, we worry that that's what we're going to become. Um, and that is that is a very real fear for, for other people, whether it's seeing parents or um, other people in our lives and, and worrying that, that their life is what ours will become. I think that that's just another tangible takeaway of uh, how, how much this can relate to the audience as they're watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you all for indulging me in that uh, short practice. I don't know that we intended to do that originally, but I'm glad we did. Um, yeah. Well, and uh, so let's. Any other big fear moments we want to hit on? Are we ready to take a quick break and then jump back in with our devotion and our gratitude? No, we got anything else you want to say, bud? I think I think we hit it all on my end, man. All right. All right. Well, we will be back after a quick break, and then we will jump back in as we look through fear and give our gratitude for this episode. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to our devotion. We're so excited. It's going to be great. It is. Uh, this week we're looking through a lens of earth and we're combining earth with this concept and lens of fear. Uh, interesting lens to look through, honestly. It's a really, it was a neat conversation. Um, I'm, I'm glad we did this. Uh, so, so. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> so, earth, just as a, you know, evo- what does earth evoke in us? You know, earth is our foundation. It's the, uh, it's. You know, it's it's the foundation, but it's also where everything kind of all of our nutrients grow from the earth. It's uh, like sturdy. It's what uh, like there's just so many like it provides structure. There's a lot of really cool stuff that earth kind of evokes in people. And so this this concept that we talked about earlier where fear kind of teaches us boundaries is is kind of where I'm headed with my devotion. Like, how do I set a goal and uh, for this for this week, an intention for this week around this? Is I, I, I through this conversation, am learning that I have a low tolerance for fear and that that's a boundary of mine. And I also am very comfortable with this episode. This episode was not scary for me. And so where is that line is something that I'm not exactly sure of because I typically have just been like, nope, no horror at all. And so, uh, Noah, you've, you've somewhat uh, intrigued me on finding, like, where is that line? And uh, I'm interested. I'm, I'm going to explore that a little bit and potentially meditate on where my line is and why I don't like experiencing this because I think that uh, I, I want to know where the line is because the more aware we are, the the better we can better we can be. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of my my intention for the week. I really love that you brought up the the fact that um, you recognize that like this experience wasn't one that was necessarily scary to you, and understanding that it it is for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how our own life experiences kind of lead into that. And so this idea that like. This isn't something I have to deal with. This idea, it might not be, like, the idea of not having autonomy over my body is not something I don't really fear. Exactly. And maybe I should a little bit more because of how I know other people engage with this fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important highlight. Um, I think for me, mine is going to be around, I enjoyed our conversation at the beginning of the episode around Sokka 
um, kind of going off of his fear of the unknown and jumping right in and, 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 and kind of treating it as dangerous and Katara's opposite experience. I want to make sure I'm laying a good foundation to be able to engage with people um, and either dissipate, like create an experience where that fear doesn't exist for no reason um, and make sure that we're kind of breaking barriers to, to get to know people, to be able to kind of make the unknown the known um, to really understand how fear is affecting our decision-making process in those types of situations. That seemed a little bit muddled, but I wonder if it was clear. I thought it was crystal I'm okay with clear, it. sir. I thought right. it was lovely. No, do you have anything you want to add? Um, uh, My goal for the week now is going to be coming up with a top five list of recommendations for Ben. Um, I'm going to try and dial back my, <laughs> my own fear thoughts and, like, you know, let's take it back to like age thirteen ish. Let's let's. What was I watching yeah. back then? I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's that's my goal. Uh, but to to that note, if I want to expand on it a little bit, look, you know, I again, you have me on here as the horror aficionado. Looking at people who don't uh, engage with the genre, what is it? What is the core of why? you know why it's too much for them what did they experience early on i mean you mentioned your early viewings uh what what made them tap out what made them kind of disengage from like you know continuing to explore it so i i again i this is probably a longer conversation for you and i to have off mic but i i'm so curious what where we can find the window in because every everybody's got a core few horror movies that they love you got to have a few in your diet at least in october <laughs> yeah just to watch around halloween but what you're I watch talking Hocus about Pocus. is you're, you're talking about connection and i think that that's an important part of that is that um as we talked earlier about that ability to connect with people after a scary experience and be able to talk about it to be able to release that fear is not only great for horror movies but that's actually name you know you name something so you can tame it right mm -hmm. um, when it comes to actual fears that are happening and the ability to talk and communicate those fears with real people and connecting can be a source of recovery uh, of getting through that fear. Um, and I think that's kind of an important part is that the connection is really there for that. For sure. All right, let's talk about some gratitude. Let's talk about some characters that we want to just uplift. Noah, we'll kind of, we'll start with you if that's okay. Yeah, What's absolutely. who's a character that you just really want to give some gratitude that you're thankful for or, or want to kind of give a blessing to? I mean, she's she's definitely the star of the episode as far as I'm concerned. If, if I didn't know better, I would think this show is almost solely about her. But my, mine is Katara. Uh, I love that from the get-go, she, again, is, is not immediately scared of the unknown. She's open to the other. She's She's not immediately dismissing Hama. And then, of course, it's deepened by the, you know, the bending connection, etc. They bond at from a teacher-student almost like relationship. But the, the gratitude I guess I really have is that in the moment, even though it seemed so obvious to me from a remove of the audience of like, I know where this is headed. Uh, but for her to recognize in the moment, this is what I have to do and actually engage with using the blood bending, I... I thought it showed so much maturity and like thoughtfulness just in a very few amount of scenes. Uh, and again, I don't know this character in much depth at all, but I was immediately engaged by just her vibe and her kind of moral compass uh, throughout the whole thing. So yeah, that my gratitude goes to Katara. I, I am often, often grateful for Katara. And he brings up a whole new point of like that teacher student relationship and how hard it is to tell a mentor, a matriarch, someone that you've trusted that they're, wrong mm -hmm. yeah and, the, and setting that boundary is so difficult oh that makes me respect Katara so much more even in this episode just so vulnerable oh what a beautiful gratitude no thank you thank you wow wow sunshine how about you um i'm gonna go with hama Ooh. yeah tell us more yeah absolutely i it has to be so hard to grow up and live with that trauma over and over again and then have to deal with being in prison for, for doing nothing but being who you are and have to, to navigate that. Um, and if someone could have intervened, if she would have had someone to talk to about this, if she wouldn't have been in this isolating situation, how she could have been as a mentor or a bender um, bending master or someone who can navigate that world. I just feel for her and I just want to give her a little bit of gratitude of, of I see you 
And it goes back to that doesn't excuse the behavior and you need to be held accountable. So we can empathize and understand Hama, but we have to be able to hold her accountable uh, and recognize the behaviors that weren't positive as well. Um, and so I just wanted to give a little bit of gratitude to her. Almost, a, I see you. Um, I recognize this. Um, Man. And, yeah. and I think that's important. I'm so grateful for her too. And I, like, it's, there's so much controversy around this episode and just the concept of bloodbending in general. And like having this conversation is really kind of, uh, made me appreciate her in a whole new way. And yeah, thank you for, for lifting that up. Um, so I, I don't want to be near her. No, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go hang out with her or anything, <laughs> um, but yeah, hard, <laughs> hard pass on that for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, no th- she's got a very good skill <laughs> that uh, I, I, I want to be nowhere near. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I think that's a healthy level of fear right there. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, we haven't talked about Toph at all, but I'm, I'm going to be grateful for Toph. Oh my gosh. That's a really good pick. So Toph in the beginning of the episode, here's, feels senses people screaming terrifying like and is convinced out of out of fear out of the fear of this story that they've been telling and out of like this interruption that comes on that she didn't hear it and part of me wonders if that's why hama approaches because she heard that toff made this revelation and she's like oh i need to interrupt this uh and and I am sad that fear kind of sidelined this. But what I am grateful for is that later in the episode, as soon as she makes the connection that this that was real, she just starts running. The whole group, Sokka, Aang, Toph, just start taking off toward this mountain. There was very little hesitation once they figured it out. And that kind of... Uh, agency agency and a capacity to do and take on something with like their fear was like i i want to kind of touch on the point where you you said like they were doing this even though they were scared earlier of this this was and still scared like yeah exactly and so i think that they're still scared and they charge headlong into it and that's what i'm grateful for i am grateful for the amount of courage that she charges in with and that is just it's real it's palpable and it's it's really something that i'm i'm grateful for i'm grateful for that example what a beautiful way to end this episode noah thank you so much for joining us uh, and taking the time out of your schedule to be with us uh go listen to noah on the arc of e podcast if you want to know more about movies and television and music and all that good stuff the arc of e podcast can be found wherever you listen um to uh any the same podcast you're currently listening to now uh, follow us, BNB underscore pod, on Twitter and Instagram. And then if you would like to, support our Patreon. We are trying to get to 50 patrons uh, so that we can continue this work and get to Cora Book 1 lots after of we wrap up this Really cool season. Facebook group, extra episodes, lots lot of, of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff on Patreon. Go check that out, patreon.com slash BNB underscore pod. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. This has been Pruitt. Thank you to Max. Thank you to Noah. And thank you to y'all for listening. We'll be here next time. Bye-bye.